Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, a show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. Here at Gut Check, we've identified four primary criteria that help us measure a gutsy brand. We feature brands that are empathetic, pioneering, bold, and those that demonstrate what we call the power of and, those that see opportunity where others force trade-offs. When we find a brand leader that we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them on the show to explore what makes them so successful and what drives them every day. Today, Rob Wangle, CEO of Gut Check and founder of Experience Innovation, chats with Paul Howarth. Paul is the CEO at Acumen and Pansensic, where they use their proprietary hybrid text analytics engine to help leading businesses across the globe make better decisions. Our episode is a little bit different than usual. Rather than looking at brands through a traditional marketing lens, we're going to be focused on understanding human experience. Paul has a very interesting background as a non-marketing CEO, and I think it offers a unique perspective. Today, he dives into his belief that the perseverance of personal struggle can lead to improved human understanding, and he even describes how his own personal struggles have led him to build businesses that help companies make better decisions by truly listening to people. Before we jump into the interview, I want to caution listeners that this episode contains references to suicide. For anyone who may need support, we have resources linked in our show notes. Now let's kick back and enjoy another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. Welcome, Paul. Um, today's Gutsiest Brand podcast from Gut Check is going to be a little bit different. So for those of you who've been listening to our podcasts, We've featured an array of guests, many of whom are entrepreneurs, marketing execs, innovators, uh, but people who are running brands or investing in brands. And we're really thrilled today to have Paul, who's a, a, a friend and a partner to us, who will bring a very different but equally valuable perspective to what it takes to be gutsy, what it takes to grow a brand in a highly competitive marketplace. Paul, would you do me a favor and, and introduce, do a top line introduction of who you are and, and what companies you run? Okay, yeah. Um, Paul Howarth, um, I'm from uh, the southwest of England. Um, those of you who are familiar with Doc Martin, uh, the TV show, I'm just up the road from there. Um, so I run two companies. I'm founder of both companies and CEO of both companies. Pansensic, who we, basically we analyze consumer experiences, their comments, narrative, the text. And out of that analysis, we help um, our clients to improve products, services, brands, that kind of thing. And the other company, Acumen, um, we analyze patient experiences and help the healthcare systems deliver better services. Um, and we're also moving into mental health because we feel our technology is bang on the money in that space as well. So what in the world do you know about brands? Well, my background is farming. So branding to me is when you grab hold of a, a, a cattle or a bullock and you tie it up and you stick a hot thing on its backside so you know what tribe it belongs to. So from my kind of perspective, it's something similar to that. It's a bit tribal. You know, people want to be belong to a tribe. 
Um, so I don't really know very much about brands at all, Rob, to be honest. I'm learning more as I'm working with you guys. Um, but uh, I'm not an expert. I, I, I just, you know, I'm not really a follower of brands. All I know is that, you know, you, you can buy a $2 T-shirt, stick a 50 pence brand on it and sell it for $100. And kind of, you know, that's pretty, pretty good return. I, I do see how you just integrated pence and dollars, but that was good. Pence and dollars, I'm sorry about that. I, 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 I'm not, <laughs> you're, you're a multi-currency kind of guy. Yeah, I'm hanging somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic, bro. That's, that's the reality. That's, that, that's perfect. So I think our audience is going to discover you know a lot more about brands because you know an awful lot about people. Uh, and that's why we're really excited to have you today. So you. you mentioned farming. Tell us a little bit more about your journey. My love is farming. Um, that's where I started out in life, um, very much at the bottom of the, of the, of the ladder. And um, by the time I was 25, I had a very small farm of my own. And then I had two pretty devastating uh, farm accidents. And I had to completely change from a, being a very physical person and somebody that was very innovative, even in agriculture. I had to basically get a desk job. So uh, it kind of changed my life completely, really. So I got a desk job working for my father because I was pretty much unemployable uh, following the accidents. Um, and then I sort of went from there, really. 20, 23 years later, I had a, an operation that uh, basically put me back on my feet again. Um, but I lost the best part of my life to what was pretty traumatic um, stuff, really. But interestingly enough, it's the trauma that uh, has made me kind of the person I am um, and made me really um, inquisitive and just just interested in all things psych psychology and understanding people. Because I used to really understand my cows really well. So, you know, they don't talk to you. So you have to really, really sort of get to know them really well. And you have to know how they're feeling on a day to day basis. So uh, I kind of do the same thing with people now. So back then it was cows, now it's people. Let's talk about your caring and understanding of people and, and connect your journey to um, why you're so focused on um, healthcare and mental wellness. So when I had my first accident, um, and basically I was in, in a lot of pain and I was told by the doctors I wasn't. And for 19 hours, and I really nearly died, had a near-death experience. I kind of come out of that experience feeling, feeling that it was pretty unjust. And, you know, I didn't want to go down the route of suing the, the, the healthcare system. I wanted to go down the route of actually, you know, can you listen to patients better, please? Because we, we do have a great insight into our own body and our own, uh, our own what's going on. So that's kind of kind of where it come from really in, in the healthcare sector. And then 23 years of basically saying, I've got a problem in my neck and this is happening. And the, 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 the healthcare system saying, no, you haven't, it's not, it can't happen. And, and, and in the end, they had to admit it did happen and they found out what was happening, but it was 23 years later. So I'm, I, I really want people to be heard, whether it's in the healthcare sector, whether it's someone with men mental health, whether it's consumers, employees, you know, I really want people to be heard because they understand what's really happening on that front line. 
there's nobody better to understand your products, your brands, than your consumers and your, your employees, in my opinion. And you, in, in, in finding ways to hear people, talk a little bit about how you've innovated around language and how you've, you've taken your interest in, in people from a mental wellness and a physical wellness standpoint and just as, as consumers of products, and you've connected that to an understanding of language. Yeah, well, I suppose it, it started uh, in, in the late 90s when I um, was running my father's small business and I got, I got all my customers in one day along with my employees and, and we just had a massive brainstorming event and I ended up with 360 post-it notes and I went in the next day and I just couldn't make sense of it. So that's kind of where it started. And then I started developing little processes to try and make sense of it all. Um, and so I spent the next like 15 years or 10 years doing this all manually. So I used to manually take comments and, and, and categorize them, backcode them, uh, whatever you call it. Um, and it's boring. And it's like, oh, my God, it's like boring. But the end, the end outcome is fantastically insightful. So I decided that, you know, it was about time we found a digital process to do that. And the way we do this is through basically um, categorizing words into various, if you like, buckets of meaning and uh, an understanding. And, and, that, and that allows us to work out what's really going on. So it, it, that's the journey that we've been on really. And more recently, we, so in, in, I suppose, it's not just about the, the tangible stuff of a product, which is like, you know, the taste and the smell, but it's more about the intangibles for me. It's more about the emotions that sit behind it and, and, and the, the, the emotions, how that, that affects your behaviors and your psychology. So it's become more psycholinguistics these days than, than the early days as I, as I learn more and as I um, discover more and work with people like Gutcheck, to be honest, who've been fantastic for us. So let's, we're gonna, I wanna fast forward to kind of give people a little bit more of a picture of what you're describing, kind of what your company does. And then, then I think we'll move back to some of the, the foundational elements that kind of allowed you to get there. So you just, you, you kind of talked about psycholinguistics, you talked about um, emotion. Talk a little bit more about what you've been able to do through um, understanding organic conversations and connecting that to, to innovation and helping companies either build better products or better services in the case of hospitals and so forth. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, one of the first places I start, I start with the emotions. So if you can understand the people, your, your employees, your customers and how they feel about their products, you know, you, you really don't want to be frustrating your customers or your employees. So that's the number one for me. Let's get rid of all frustration. And, and you need to replace that frustration with excitement or delight or some a real positive emotion. So if you if you start looking at, at what's what things, what topics of conversation are around these emotional words, then you start to get to really understand what's going on. And, and insights actually, you know, they, they do sit at a level of granularity. So, you know, it's not about sentiment. Sentiment's positive, negative. It's too coarse. We need to go to much more um, detail, which is the emotions. What, what are their frustrations? Are we, are we making these people angry? I know I did a project once for, and, and, and the product was actually making people fearful. Now you, 
you've got a hell of a job to sell a product that's making people fearful. Right. So, you know, so it's all about those emotions and that intangible stuff. The real reason and the good reason people do things. You know, the real, the real, real reason why I like um, something is not the good side. It's so different from the good reason. So it's all about that, really, for me. Does, does that make sense, Rob? Have I got that it, right? It absolutely does make sense. And on the one hand, it sounds so fundamental that anyone who's trying to either communicate more effectively about their brand or improve their product or service or experience, you want to understand where, where what delights people and what frustrates or, or what's a struggle for people. So in some ways, that's foundational and, and very well understood. I think the difference in what I've discovered um, in working with you is your ability to go out to a really broad base of data and a broad base of conversation. So it's not limited to one or two or 10 or 30 or, or 200, but it's, it's authentic and it's really broad. So I think that's one of the differentiators. And then peeling back the onion, really getting to a level of depth of human understanding that perhaps you don't get from other traditional forms of research, right? I think so, because, you know, if we, if we look at the, the, the successful with products with, or, or projects that we've worked on in the past, it's where you get lots of comments from multiple perspectives. So, you know, when it comes to innovation, you know, very, a lot of innovation tools is, is, is all about trying to get us to think in different ways. Well, actually, your customers all think in different ways. So why not tap into that crowd wisdom, if you like, or crowd experience, I would say, because it's not always wise. So if you can tap into those multiple points of view and understand the product from multiple points of view, you've got to be in a much better position. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that's really important. And I, I wanna um, kind of bring us to the next chapter, if you will, of our discussion um, and, and dig a little bit deeper in You've got a, a, a very personal commitment and passion around um, health and mental wellness, and you've, you've studied um, mental wellness and what causes suicide. And this is gonna be a little bit uncomfortable for some, but hopefully people will get to where I got to, which is this very meaningful foundation I'm gonna ask you to describe. Also, in addition to potentially helping us um, improve people's mental wellness and reduce suicide, we found some analogs or you found some analogs that also connect to how people interact with brands. So let's first, if we can talk about um, how you studied mental wellness and suicide and some of the patterns you've been able to uncover. Yes, sure. So first of all, I, my, my first study of, 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 of mental wellness was actually with myself. And what I went through as a result of, of having life change in trauma and, and how I had to come to terms with that over a, a long period of time, which was very difficult. But so that was the, if you like, my grounding in it all. I, I, I tried all sorts of different therapies and um, to try and improve my emotional resilience and my, my, my performance as, a, as, a, as an individual, because it started off as, you know, I, I don't want to feel so crap about my life. But it ended up, well, I'm actually, as a result of addressing this stuff, I'm feeling better. But what could I be if I really improved my emotional fitness, like, like physical fitness? So that's where it kind of started, Rob. More recently, we use a bottom-up approach. So we, we, we 
we found 200 suicide, handwritten suicide notes on the internet. We typed them up and then we put them into the software to start our analysis. We found 34,000 mental health comments that were readily available in the public domain. We scraped them, we put them in our database. We deconstruct them all and, and, and find little snippets of little gems of information, little phrases, little, it could be figurative speech, it could be metaphors, it could be how they feel, their emotions. And then we start mapping these, these little bits of speech um, to, to try and understand holistically what's going on. And at the same time as doing that, we, we take a, a top-down approach. So we, we not so much me, because I, I'm, not, I'm not an academic. I find that very difficult. But my, my team takes a top-down approach, looks at other people's models. And what you find with a lot of academic models is that when you work with a bottom-up approach, there's bits missing. Um, we can fill in the gaps a bit around these bits. So we, we, went, we ended up studying also 72 song lyrics. And you start finding patterns in these lyrics. And there's a great pattern in Kurt Cobain's last song. And I think there's, there was 12 mentions of the word I. There's 42 mentions of the word you. And there was no mentions of the word we. And that's because Kurt had completely disconnected. And it's that disconnection, which was a key thing in the suicide, if you like, that, that pathway, that pathway to transition to suicide or not, or to, or to, to therapy and to, to progression. So, but right at the beginning of this, and, and it's so applicable to employment, it's so applicable to consumer and the brand as well, because right at the beginning of this model is distress. And that's, in, in terms of suicide, that's some kind of trauma probably. And there are like some, something like 37 types of trauma and some trauma is, is quite you know, on the surface, some is very, very deep. If your interpersonal relationships are strong, you are very likely to deal with those distresses and those traumas. But if it's not strong, you it, find it very difficult to deal with it on your own. And you end up the third step of the, if you like, the, the, the model is you start to feel hopeless and trapped. And then what happens then, you start to disconnect. So if we think about that in the terms of the brand, it could be there's some distresses in the brand. It could be you're ringing up the call center and you're getting nowhere and you're frustrated. And then you think, oh, it's really hopeless me still dealing with these people. It's driving me nuts. And I feel trapped. Well, I need to break out of this. Or I'm just disconnecting from the, this supplier. I just can't be doing with them. Disconnecting. So in the suicide world, we disconnect with our loved ones, with our family, with society. Actually, the biggest one is when we start disconnecting with ourselves. And that's called disassociation. And so the next step is that uh, I want to get out of this place. And this is where we start to sort of have a strong desire to move on. That might be moving on to a different brand. It might be moving on to a new employer. It might be moving on to suicide for some people or to therapy for others. And it's this bit is the, is the switch really. It's this desire stage is the switch. 
Um, and from then on, it's about setting the intention and, and making plans to move on in, in one way or another. So the whole, and you were the, you were the one actually, Rob, who pointed this out. You, you said to me one day, Paul, if you can figure out this suicide thing, it is going to be so relevant to the consumer space. And you were very, very, very quick to spot that, Rob. Very difficult subject. And unfortunately, with the world we've lived in, uh, suicide rates have gone up over the past couple of years, not down. So I know you've got a personal mission, um, which uh, you know I think many people share, and helping to make sure that at that inflection point, at that decision-making point, you can help people make the right decision and, and find a way to actually uh, uh, address their situation and make progress in their lives. Um, so I know that's your desire. So if we think about it from the positive side of how do we prevent, obviously, suicide, but in the you know the more self-serving side of brands, how do we prevent people from leaving our brand and, and actually staying loyal and sticking with it? Tell, tell me a little bit about what you've discovered is you think the big difference between those that you know, just feel frustrated and it's hit a breaking point where they want to make a change versus those who uh, yeah. will stick, stick with something. I think you've got, got to go back further back down the, the, the if you like, the, the model. Um, and it's all about interpersonal relationships. So in terms of suicide, if you want to support somebody that's, that's suicidal, it's about making connection, making meaningful connection without judging, um, without um, criticism, without just, just being there, just listening and, and listening and listening. So it's very much about making that connection. It's, and, and, and that takes a degree of empathy and a degree of compassion. So if we then look at a brand, if we want to create more connection with our customers, then we, we have to get in that, understand what we look like as a, a, as a relationship. What does that relationship look like? What does that call center feel like to our customers? How does, how does all that work? And, and it's about understanding that and improving it. One of the big things is trust. Trust is so important. And if we look at the world today, we can't trust any of this data that's coming out. We're all, we don't know what to believe anymore. We, if you analyze loads of comments across society, which we've done, biggest frustration is I don't know what to believe anymore. So that is a breakdown in an interpersonal relationship. So if, for instance, society was a was was uh, a family the, the the mother and father in in that family which is the leaders of our society would be telling children lots of lies no that's not going to work that's not going to work and our brands are the same we've got to be very honest with our people we've, we've got to try and can help them with their distresses and what's coming down the road is i think it's a lot of distress and trauma and with the absence of that empathy and compassion at, at, at our national leadership level you know i think the onus is on onus is on organizations to lead a bit well let's talk talk a little bit more about that what what are you observing um in terms of the societal concerns and societal challenges let's expand upon where you were just going if you would on um trust and information and where society goes and i think you have some perspective on how different generations um, are experiencing uh, the yeah. world today as well. It's, it's a big, complicated 
area, but I, 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 the way I view it and the way what I see is going on is that, you know, it's a bit like if your organization's only value was making money and you never had any other values in that organization, yeah, you'd probably make money, but you wouldn't have a happy workforce and you, and you would probably struggle, especially with the newer generations, to, to, to keep hold of people because the, the, the generation Y, generation Z to come, that they don't live to work what, like our generation. They will be much more values driven and they will want to be associated with, with better values. So I think what's, what's happening is that our, our, you know, society is, is, society's vision is money, really. Um, and money isn't really the vision. Money has no values, really. We've got to be very careful. You know, there, there is no empathy necessarily in making money. We, we've got to be careful that we, yes, money, making money is nothing wrong in it and it's good. But we have to be really careful that, that we, we don't prostitute our values. We don't lose sight of empathy. We don't lose sight of, you know, we can't make money at the expense of the future generations. Life. I think part of what I, I, you and I have had this conversation a little bit and we're going to expand upon it now. So part of what I'm hearing you say is um, there are generational expectations around values, which are really important. And then connecting it to something you said a couple minutes ago about with everything that we've experienced in the world around us over the past two to five years, there's a lack of trust of institutions. So I think yeah. part of where you're going is if we can't trust government or a lot of people don't seem to trust government and we can't trust the institutions we've relied on, you, you think that there's a role for businesses and brands to really fill that vacuum, right? Yeah, I mean, if we if we look at the word crisis in Chinese, the, the word crisis means danger and opportunity. And, you know, we've been through a lot of crisis recently and we're going through a huge amount of crisis in Ukraine at the moment. And but that does bring with it an opportunity. And, and I feel that 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 vacuum will get filled with something. Now, if if we're not careful, it will get feel as a society will get filled with the wrong thing this is this is the way some of the extreme um, leaders of the past have got into power because they've seen this vacuum and they've filled it um whereas you know as leaders of of, of our corporations we need to take a more a longer term view we have a great expression in farming and that expression is live like you're going to die tomorrow and farm like you can live forever. And we need to take that longer term view in our organizations. If we want, if we want in 10 years time to have a good share price, you know, we need to have a lot longer view of, of, of things than just the short term two, three years. And, and I think that's really important. So there is a big vacuum coming. There's the other big vacuum is that the there's the, the, the next generations are going to be so focused on the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is all about safety, you know, that they're, they're concerned about the climate, they're concerned about um, employment, the, the economy, they're, 
and it's a lacking in things coming down of opportunity for them, a lacking of of, of purpose, of of meaning. And so I think the the, the real opportunity for our brands and our organisations is how can we give these young people something to 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 live for and and a bit of purpose because they're having it stripped away um and they're going to be so focused on this safety and what's happened with covid is it's reinforced the need for safety what's happening in ukraine it's reinforced the need and this trauma around safety is going to change the way they are the way they feel and their behavior going forward. So, so using Maslow's hierarchy, so I think part of, if I understand where you're going with this, coming back to marketing and brands, um, the interaction that people would have with brands and experiences with products and services and apps and so forth, if we were living more at the higher end of Maslow's hierarchy, things that might seem frivolous are, are available to us. But if we're if we're so focused, if, if we're so engaged at just the, the foundation of the hierarchy, just health and safety and, and wellness, we don't free ourselves up to enjoy life and enjoy brands and experiences in the same way? I, I think so. I mean, if you, if you look at our generation, Rob, we, we, we probably didn't have to worry too much about the, the bottom end of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, those safety things, maybe on occasion. And, and, you know, we've been very much living our life pursuing that, that uh, self-esteem, really, and, right, and, right. and that wonderful stuff at the top. And so um, with a lack of that, and I think a lack of that is coming, society moves into this disconnect phase. So if, if society was a person, society would be heading for a, for a breakdown because there's so many distresses and so many interpersonal relationships and disconnects with society and its leadership. So all that lot is it, it just points to me that we, we, there's opportunity there for the for the for the for the gutsy brands, if you like. So let me bring you back to something. You were uh, so two things I want to come back to. So one is the idea that very strong relationships, really strong connections, are essential. I'm going to challenge you because earlier you said something to the effect of uh, money. If, if everything is about money, money doesn't have value. You can you can still make money without values. But I, I think where I heard you going, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is um, if brands and companies don't have those really trusted, authentic relationships with the people they're selling to, serving, um, they're actually not going to make money. They, they, because they're going to lose customers, right? The old customer was very concerned with perhaps image, perhaps wanted to be associated with a Nike tick or whatever, um, and that really did it for them. If the new, the new generations are so focused on safety, that if they're so focused on all those other things at the bottom of it, you, you've you've got to tick that as well as tick the, the high end stuff. So. I think what will happen if you don't tick those things, it's because they are the needs. They are the new needs of the next generation. Well, that's right. that's a better way of saying that. Right. The new needs is I need to be safe and I need a bit of purpose in my life. Now, if a brand could connect to those two things, it's going to be a success, more successful brand 
than its competitor, who's perhaps not so gutsy and not so empathetic and, and, and not so in tune and connected with a customer. You, you shared with me, you think that there are a, a couple core components of, of brands that are really relevant, but one in particular, as you look at kind of the, the hierarchy of the four things that matter most to brands, but one that you think will be the engine, right? You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So with my profession is as an ontologist, I'm somebody that studies the meaning of words and categorizes the meanings of words. So I use a few tools. One of the tools I use is the TRIS Law of Systems Completeness. It's kind of a little innovation model. And there's various aspects to this model. Um, and there's one aspect of the model called um, coordination. And for me, that's about brand strategy. There's another part of it is the engine. And for me, the engine of a brand is its persona and the culture that it creates for people to associate with. And if we go back to what Drucker said, you know, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So whatever you build into your brand persona will absolutely eat your brand strategy. So you better get that bit right. So once you've got that brand persona, that culture right, then you've got to feed that into the next part of the, of the system, which is called the transmission. And that's your products, your brand, and the attributes of your product. So that, it, so that persona needs to be almost, almost integral in every part where you can make it a part of that attribute of that product. Then you've got the tool in the system. And the tool, for me, the tool is, is the design, the communication of all that. And so you, you, you've got your engine, your persona, you build it into every aspect of the, of the product, and then you market and you design and you appeal to people. And then the final part of or the, the last part of that is called the um, interface. And the interface is actually the connection. Am I really making a connection with my my consumers am i really making that connection with my staff and my employees that's going to be a bigger one going forward i think staff and employees and the final part which is where we come into play in a system like that what's the feedback loop if you haven't got a strong feedback loop taking that understanding that connection and feeding it into your brand strategy then you're missing a huge part of, of the brand in my mind Gosh, I, I, I know very few companies or brands or hospitals that don't have some kind of feedback loop. They, they do surveys, they, whether it's customer experience or, or how they experience a brand. So uh, most companies have something, but the difference I think is a lot of that's superficial, that a lot of that is, that is not leading with empathy to, to really uncover um, the emotions that drive behavior and the, the emotions that can really drive the connection and the persona that you're speaking of. Is that fair? I, I think it is fair. I think, I think if we look at society as a whole, you know, it, it's very easy to analyze the wrong data or corrupt data or distorted data or selective data. And that willful blindness of, of society to actually select the data that suits, suits the personal agenda is, is something that is a worry. And I think in the brand, in the brand world, and, uh, you know, we really need to understand what consumers really think, 
what their experience is really like. And we have to find better ways. You know, when I, when I, and I don't get this from gut check, but some of the stuff, the comments I get are, are like, I did a whole project and the average length of the comment was seven words. You are not engaging with your customers if your average length of comment is seven words. And there's very little emotion in it. If there's no emotion in a comment, they're not engaged. And then you're making decisions based on that. You've got to get that right. You've got to sort of, it's the quality of that data that you that you solicit is is so important in a world where there's all sorts of fakery going on. Uh, in my mind, that's where we need to. So the better data that we right. put into the system, the better insights we get out. I'm going to take you to a new place that's related to exactly where you're going. You've got a you've got a perspective on the world from just raw data to what does insights really mean, and and I think you have a vision of working towards wisdom. Um, Talk a little about where you see that that path of just taking raw data and turning it into something that could go as far as wisdom. Oh, I could spend all day on that, Rob, and you know I could. So, so and, and how do you distill that whole topic into a couple of sentences? I think it's all to do with the wisdom evolution trend, data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. We cannot jump from knowledge to wisdom we don't understand wisdom well enough what we can do we can insert insight after knowledge so we can we've got all this knowledge the experience of our our consumers the experience of our staff is is their knowledge and we can give a better understanding of that knowledge by actually analyzing it in a granular way at the relationships between things and things, things and people and people and people at that really granular level. That's where the insights hide because I've been looking for them for ages. When it comes to wisdom, it's a whole new thing completely. So I don't, I have some ideas about wisdom. I've looked in into that area a bit and I've been, wow, my, there's such a lot there. So for me to understand wisdom, what I should be doing is I should be taking 40,000 wise quotes over millennia and taking them at the very snippet level, snippets of that quote and that quote, and creating a big holistic map to understand the DNA of wisdom. Because, you know, if we don't start becoming wise as a society, the future has got to look a little bit bleak. Because, you know, this artificial intelligence, we do not want to be making the same kind of mistakes faster that we're making now, based on numbers. We've got to be a bit smarter than that. My vision from that is I want to build wisdom into artificial intelligence. So it's got to be wise. If it's not wise, it's not going to work. That's a real challenge for, the, for, for artificial intelligence because, you know, it's not just about the numbers. It's what you teach the machine. If you don't teach the machine to be wise, it will not be wise. And if you don't know how to teach wisdom, you can't teach the machine. And if you don't understand wisdom, how can you teach it? And I mess about in this space a lot, and I don't understand it. And I need to understand it so we can then teach the machine to be wise. So in your 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 vision of teaching the machine to be wise, 
your current focus is much more on at least teach the machine to be insightful, at least teach the machine to be empathetic. Is that is that fair? Absolutely. I, I and I, and I think for for me, what what's really spooky is that I parked the wisdom stuff because actually, if you gave if you if if you understood wisdom, if we understood wisdom. And we gave it to society to be wiser with. Actually, society doesn't want to change enough. So we we have to find ways of helping society change, and and that's the suicide model, because I need to change as a person. I need to improve my interpersonal relationships. I need to deal with my stresses. I need to get in a better place. I need to deal with my own personal. Um, emotional fitness and society needs to become much more um, uh, emotional resilient and, and fitter uh, before it can then adopt wisdom you can't adopt it if you're not in a good enough place and we're not in a good enough place so i've kind of sort of changed my tack a little bit to try and say well look how, how can we make change work better and that is by understanding that transition in suicide that applies to everything so let's come backwards a little bit. How'd you go from farmer to innovator to entrepreneur to the guy who's really caring deeply about um, society and wisdom? I care really deeply about the environment and the animals and the trees. But I, my focus for the first part of my the first 25 years of my life was to focus on how I could help nature, if you like. And then I realized that actually, if unless mankind becomes wise, no matter what I do in that space, it's not going to be enough. So then I turned my focus to, to, to wisdom. So I, I, I don't know, Rob, really. It, 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 I, I think it's through the trauma that I experience and the actual repositioning of myself and the rebuilding myself. So if you can imagine the bionic man of when we were kids, <laughs> you know, he had metal bits and he, did this that and the other so i i kind of had to rebuild my my persona really as somebody that was an introvert totally focused on um the farm didn't really want to step outside the farm gates and very happy in that to somebody that actually is is focused on understanding people and and wanting to meet people and, and i don't know whether i answered your question at all there. Well, and we're thrilled that you're concern for the environment and your concern for people have intersected and that you're you're sharing it in a way that actually can help uh, businesses and brands connect much better with the people that they're serving. We're going to go to a couple of lightning round elements. So we we believe there are four elements of gutsy brands. And I'd love you to just make a quick comment or an example yeah. of something you've experienced as an entrepreneur who's, who's created and invented so many different things. The role of leading with empathy. What does that spark for you? So that sparks um, less testosterone, more oxytocin, I think. So I think we, we need to be empathetic. We need to be compassionate. I think women are, are, are much better leaders in that space than we are um, as men. Um, it doesn't. So I think that's an important thing. Um, uh, without that empathy, you cannot connect to people. If you cannot connect to people, 
how can you have a brand that connects? It's kind of where I'm sitting there. Pioneering new paths. You've frequently said that while you're running two businesses, uh, you just want to be the inventor in the shed. Yeah. Talk about pioneering new paths and, and why, how that resonates with you. Well, I, well I, think, I think the world is changing so fast, we can't, we can't stay the way we were. We, we, we have to find different ways because it's changing so quick. Um, the, 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 the old rules do no longer apply. And so if you don't find those new paths, if you don't find that, that new stuff, you're history. You, 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 you're, you're a dinosaur. So for me, that's why the, 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 that's so important. And I agree with it. I, I'm sure you faced a lot of uh, naysayers. So how do you go about standing behind those ideas as you do invent and come up with new, new paths? Well, I, 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 I come across an awful lot of naysayers. And, and I suppose in, in those in, initial days of developing what we've developed, I didn't even understand what, what I was doing myself or I couldn't explain it. So, but you have to dig deep and you have to hang on to, to your goal and your vision. And my goal and my vision was to, to help society, to help so that society could be more wiser, so that it could treat the environment better. And it's just hanging on to those core beliefs that, that saw me through those dark times when I really had to be strong. We all face trade-offs and compromise decisions. How do you approach those decisions or how do you avoid having to make too many trade-offs? I, I, I think from, a, from, a, from my point of view as an innovator, a, a trade-off or a compromise is more optimization rather than innovation. So I kind of, if, if I see that, well, well, why are we making this big compromise here is because we're too lazy to innovate, I think. Maybe. Um, so I would say, look, you know, the compromise. Yes, sometimes we do have to compromise. Of course we do. But um, compromise can stand in the way of innovation. So we, we, we do need to be we, we, the, those opportunities. We just need to. It's not about compromises. What can we really do that's different here and, and, and exciting? It's got to be exciting. You brought up some pretty significant topics here about society and safety and feeling um, that we were able to just satisfy the, the most foundational elements of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You've talked about suicide. Um, on the one hand, it, it could be a real downer. <laughs> how do you turn that all into a positive and how do you, why does it all matter to brands? Why, you, you're talking about some very lofty topics. How does it really approach and, uh, and, and why and how does it connect to brands? It comes back to, to where society is for me. Um, and society is, is, is a bit of a, it's starting to disconnect and fall apart. Um, I've only got to talk to my friends and neighbours who ordinary people, and they all feel it. Uh, the amount of people that are on antidepressants, the amount, of, the amount of people in the last three weeks that I've spoken to really started to struggle because of what's happening in the Ukraine. So if, if we, we have to do something, we have to stand up and we have to be leaders. You know, that, you know there's, there's a lot of talk about being thought leaders and a lot of people that think, you know, want to be thought leaders, but we got to be thought, we got to be doers now. We're not just that thinking about it, we've got to do it. So we've got to basically do it, not just talk about it. And, and if I come back to, 
one of the key points I think is that that real importance of very strong interpersonal relationships and yeah. connections that yeah. helping people feel connected. And that's kind of where it really comes back to. Um, and, and, and by the way, I've been, I've been thrilled um, and to, to see the number of brands who've made values-based decisions um, and, and they're doing it around the environment. We're seeing it happen around um, standing up for freedom and for humanity in, in yeah. Ukraine. Yeah. Um, so you, you would argue that the, Brands who, which we interact with hundreds of brands every single day in our lives, have a real opportunity to help forge yeah. really strong interpersonal relationships. Yeah. yeah, but we got we got to live our brand as well. You know, right. we, it's not just about talking about doing something; it's about doing it. Right. You know, so I think that's the key to it for me. Is is that it's the now's the time for action. You know, because we can't put, we can't kick the can down the road forever. All right, so now we're gonna we're gonna close out and get a little bit more personal, although we've kind of gotten personal with a, a different kind of lightning round. What are your hobbies and how might they connect to your mission in life? I've got a small field that overlooks the Atlantic and uh, I plant trees and flowers, keep bees. My bees are fantastic. They teach me a lot every day. Um, it can, can be quite brutal, their, their, their way of life but they teach me an awful lot and and i can look at a bee and i can tell how it's feeling um just by looking at it and that's such a pleasure so what do bees I, teach you about life they teach you you've you got to live together we cannot be solitary we cannot we cannot disconnect we we we, we, we are about connections as a society we are all about connections and, and and when you disconnect you fail and so if the if the colony disconnects from the queen, the colony the queen either gets booted out and they breed a new one, or the colony dies. So the you, you, the disconnect doesn't work. You have to reconnect. I write poetry, write some music, and I play guitar. Um, for me, that is about getting my head in a different space um, and jamming, if you like. Um, and connecting to the universe, as I call it, and just just getting lost in that world, really. Um, what else do I do? Um, I love my extreme beach cleaning. I kind of take the view that I might not be successful with some of my loftier ambitions, but I can certainly go down the beach and pick up a load of rubbish. And I've picked up some 700 bags of rubbish off the North Cornwall coast. Some of it... Um, is a, is a mile trip and up 500 feet to take it to the car, to take it to the rubbish. So for me, that, that one's a lovely way of exercise with a purpose. I'm writing a book at the moment and my sister, which I'm having great fun doing. And, and that's basically just trying to bring all these threads together in a similar way that you've managed to do with me this afternoon, Rob. So um, That's great. Yeah. All right, I'm going to hit, hit you up with a couple more. Okay. Uh, you're not you're not a brand guy, but tell me uh, either the first or your best memory of a brand from your childhood. Uh, that that was really quite easy. It was my Wrangler de uh, jean jacket, Rob. I loved it, and you know what? I'd have one now, but there's nothing worse than looking at an old guy in a, in a, in a Wrangler jean jacket. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on if you put a cowboy hat on or not. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. All right. Favorite musician. Well, that's a difficult one. So my favourite musician has to be my daughter Zenya, who I, 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 she's fantastic. But I suppose I'm a, I'm biased. 
and it kind of changes. So at the moment, it is Terry Collier, who's a soul, a soul singer, fantastic voice. I love his stuff. But I guess it, it has to be who's survived over the longest is David Gilmour. Pink Floyd. Yeah. All right. So you gave us three, and I think your I know, daughter I, wins. I, I think your I think your daughter wins. Your daughter I, wins. My daughter wins definitely. Yeah. And I believe that might be her picture uh, over your shoulder. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then we are building a Spotify playlist uh, yeah. with all the guests who've been uh, very thoughtful and sharing their their wisdom on our Gutsiest Brands podcast. What is the one song you want on our Gutsy Brand playlist? It, it's a song called The Butterfly by a group called Mad Dog McRae. And you will never have heard of it. And the reason is, is because the, the butterfly is such a transformational creature and we do need to transform our brands, our society, our businesses. But the, the real reason is that the song just connects me to the universe, which gives me all my ideas. And I love that connection through that music. It's just so, it's a beautiful song. My sweet butterfly Fly and fly So, so that, they will not be on the uh, Spotify top 40 list? It, it won't be on the Spotify, but I did check it is on Spotify, so you will be able to connect it up. Excellent. So uh, this has been really great. And, and I want to thank you uh, uh, for those who are listening, um, both Acumen and Pensensic, the two companies that Paul has founded and uh, continues to be the leader and steward of, really live at the heart of everything we just heard from Paul, which is being rooted in a deep concern for where we go as a society and where we go as people but then connecting it back in a way and inventing um, an understanding of language and understanding of technology in a way that allows um, employers and healthcare systems and brands to find those much stronger connections to people um, that go well beneath the surface uh, and allow for real interpersonal long lasting relationships. And, um, Paul, thank you so much for sharing perspective and, and having a real purpose that does allow us to connect really big ideas to day-to-day -day strategies yeah. and tactical ideas. Well, thank you ever so much for giving me the opportunity to just to, to, to say it as I feel it, which is, is really nice, nice to be able to do that. Thank you. Very good. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.